Kelly, what, what producer worth his cellular phone would give a tinker's damn about you and Larry Storch? Larry Storch? <laughs> Did I hear somebody say Larry Storch? Yep, that's right, Daddy. The Larry Storch is coming over here for dinner. <laughs> Everybody's favorite corporal? Coming here to my least favorite place? <laughs> or finally the rewards of a righteous life? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. Hey, Luigi, what do these wolf costumes have to do with recording a podcast? You see, Chris, wolves are nocturnal. We are recording this at night. Hence, wolves, night, moon, podcast. And I thought the theater was dead. No, it just smells that way, but you'll get used to it. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome back, everyone. This week we are reviewing Something Larry This Way Comes, Season 9, Episode 20. Original air date, March 12, 1995. Kelly gets a big break while attending the Larry Storch School of Acting when she and Larry Storch are to appear on stage in a part of the show, Phantom of the Opera. But when the shoe store owner, Gary knocks out Larry Storch herself, whom she holds a personal grudge against. Al must leave the Midnight Madness sale at the shoe store, leaving Griff alone to go to Kelly's rescue at the theater. Directed by Amanda Burse. Written by Allison Taylor. Special guest stars. Harold Sylvester as Griff. Janet Carroll as Gary. Lynn Ann Leverage as woman, Larry Storch as Larry Storch, and Buck the Dog as Buck the Dog. Tonight, Al Bundy is the Phantom. I'll just sit here and play with my organ. A brand new Married with Children tonight at 9, 8 Central. Dream on tonight after Married with Children. The episode title of Something Larry This Way Comes is either an allusion to a line uttered by a witch in Act 4 of William Shakespeare's play Macbeth, Something Wicked This Way Comes, or the 1983 film Something Wicked This Way Comes, which was based on the 1962 Ray Bradbury novel of the same name. Don't you love how uh, we get these very high culture literary references, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. You know... um, a lot of people don't really think about uh, that when they're thinking about Married with Children, but there's a lot of Shakespeare and, <laughs> like like you said, high literary references. You know, something uh, Annabelle put here in the notes, I, I believe, is uh, Larry Storch is actually still alive. Uh, he's uh, 98 this year. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I was doing some math in my head. He would have been, so this episode aired in uh, 1995, is that correct? 
So minus 26. He would have been about 72, give or take, in this episode. He he looks really good for 72, I would say, don't you? No, absolutely. I, I would have never. I mean, if you would have asked me, if you would have showed me this episode and said, hey, Chris, guess this guy's age, I would have probably said in his 50s or something. <laughs> You know? yeah, well, you know, I don't know if he was doing Botox or plastic surgery, but yeah, he definitely looks pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, no doubt. So one of the things about Larry Storch is that uh, the Larry Storch School of Acting was first mentioned on Season 9, Episode 9, uh, No Pot to Peas In, uh, one of my favorite episodes this season uh, from a production standpoint. And um, one of the things we talked about uh, on that episode was that was the reference to Larry Storch just like a joke and the Larry Storch school of acting. And then like the, that joke sort of morph into, Hey, like let's contact Larry Storch and make an episode with him in it. <laughs> right. So, uh, that's, uh, one thing now I, I, I can't say I ever watched F troop, but, uh, there's a show that I watched in the early two thousands, which is a rerun. It's actually a show from the 1960s, which is car 54. Where are you? And uh, Larry Storch plays this character in a few episodes named Charlie the Drunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the funny things about uh, his performance is that Charlie the Drunk can get drunk just by talking about drinking. That's <laughs> the kind of drunk he is. Like, <laughs> he wouldn't actually be like shown on screen drinking, but he would be giving these monologues where he's talking about like walking from bar to bar. And by the time like he finishes his monologue, he's completely wasted. Charlie. If we give you another chance, I'll never forget you guys. <laughs> if we give you the money, I'll go right by those bars on the way to that school as if they don't exist. Did you hear that, fellas? He'll pass up every bar on the way to the school. The first one I hit is that Atlantic Bar and Grill, but I never go there anymore. For a quarter, they give you a shot like that. Boom. Who needs it? Good boy, Charlie. Keep going, Charlie. The next one I hit is that Mandalay Lounge. They give you a shot like that. Woom! <laughs> the biggest shot in the Bronx. But you know something? I'm gonna go right by that one. The next one I hit is that Ace of Spades Bar and Grill. The friendliest bar and grill, and for every two shots you buy, boom, boom. The bartender buys you. Boom. But I'm gonna keep on going. Which brings me to the Blue Diamond Cafe. Now there's a bar. For every shot you buy, the bartender gives you a beer chaser. Boom, boom. There's a bar with art. You're gonna pass it right by, huh, Charlie? Who's gonna pass it by? Why don't you mind your own business? Why don't you get that good stop picking on me? Sweetheart! Oh, my. <laughs> so, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, give a lot of credit to Larry Storch for uh, his comedic uh, uh, timing and delivery. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so let's get underway. So we open the episode with Peg on the couch watching the Home Shopping Network. Uh, hello, Shop at Home Network? Yeah, I'd like to order your NYPD Blue Naked Butt Salt and Pepper Shaker. Um, don't you think you should wait until Dad actually gets the raise before you spend it all? Bud, 
If I waited to have things till your father could afford them, you'd still be on layaway. <laughs> Besides, I have a very good feeling about this. NYPD Blue is an American police procedural drama television series set in New York City, exploring the struggles of the fictional 15th Precinct Detective Squad in Manhattan. Each episode typically intertwines several plots involved in an ensemble cast. The show was created by Stephen Bochco and David Milch and was inspired by Mitch's relationship with Bill Clark, a former former member of the New York City Police Department who eventually became one of the show's producers. The series was originally broadcast on the ABC network, debuted on September 21, 1993, and aired its final episode on March 1, 2005. It was ABC's longest-running primetime one-hour drama series until Grey's Anatomy surpassed it in 2016. Right, and I think, you know, the reference to the naked butt salt and pepper shakers uh, there's a famous episode with David Franz uh, that had aired in late 1994. So that must be uh, why we're seeing this in March of 1995. Right. Man, you know what I was just thinking? Can you imagine how much Peg would shop in the Internet era? <laughs> in, in, in most of these episodes, uh, she's you know doing it through the home shopping network where she's just picking up the phone and calling. But if she had a laptop where she could just sit there and just order stuff, <laughs> man. She would. You want to talk about spending Al's paycheck? They they would they would be homeless living under a bridge, <laughs> wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I just imagine if she'd be like the number one like shopper on Amazon. Oh, oh yeah. Can you imagine Peggy if she had access to Amazon? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, I, there's the in no pot to peas in there's uh, that scene where she has like, all those boxes outside the door yeah. and you know Annabelle and Matt were on that episode with me they made the comment about how like imagine like during the age of COVID like that's pretty familiar in the COVID era but I can only imagine you know you could probably have like if, if there was a, a modern day episode of Married with Children like you know Al would walk in one day and there would just be boxes everywhere yep. like, no doubt like floor it. to ceiling yep no doubt about that. <laughs> All right. So Bud and Peg have this exchange about how, you know, Peg shouldn't uh, spend Al's raids until he actually gets it. And she says, but if I waited to have things till your father could afford them, you'd still be on layaway. <laughs> <laughs> they still have layaway. I remember that used to be a big thing when I was a kid. Uh, you know, you buy stuff at Walmart and, uh, yeah, a lot of parents would buy stuff at Walmart and put it on layaway around Thanksgiving or like Black Friday or something and then have it paid off before Christmas, you know, Christmas presents. But I don't know, is layaway still a thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I remember it as well when I was a kid, you know, in, in the sense that you would walk by a store and you would see a sign in the window that would say, you know, layaway, like layaway available or something like that. And it's something that I really haven't seen. I, I imagine it still has to be out there, right? But uh, it's just something like, again, it's maybe not advertised the way it was, you know, let's say 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, definitely. I'm in the money. No raise, right, Al? That's right, Peg. <laughs> and to prove that every dark cloud has a silver bullet, my boss, Gary, 
put both me and Griff on commission. Commission? So you mean our budget is now just a percentage of shiny rocks and sticks? <laughs> so Al enters the living room singing, I'm in the money, just like he did on episode 24 of season seven. And that's a song from 42nd Street. Gone are my blues and gone are my tears. I've got good news to shout in your ears. The long lost dollar has come back to the fold. With silver you can turn your dreams to gold. Oh, we're in the money. We're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. We're in the money. The sky is sunny. Oh, man, depression, you are through. You've done us wrong. Oh, we never see headline about redline today. And when we see the landlord, we can look that guy right in the eye. Oh, we're in the money. Come on, my honey. Let's land it, spend it, send it rolling around. Yeah, that's that's definitely an Al song. Whenever he whenever he comes into any amount of money at all, he's always <laughs> he's always going to celebrate. I was going to say like the Aliens episode where he shows up at the the film store thinking he's going to pick up the uh, you know the pictures of the aliens and cash in. Uh, unfortunately, the developer destroyed the the negatives, but <laughs> uh, Al has a way of celebrating. That's for sure. Yeah, but you know, Chris, what's interesting, he doesn't get money this time. Yeah, so he's, he didn't get a raise. Instead, uh, yeah. Gary decided to shift, you know, Griff and he to uh, <laughs> earning money on commission. <laughs> <laughs> Bud has a great line. He says, so I mean, our budget is just a percentage of shiny rocks and sticks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Al asks Bud and Peg for ideas on how to uh, keep the cash flow coming into the house. Thanks for that unwavering vote of confidence, huh? <laughs> now, Peg, since you were the one who badgered me to ask Gary about the raise, let's hear some of your ideas to keep the cash flow coming into the house. <laughs> Duh. Well, I'll take that under advisement. But as usual, I have a plan. Good. Just as long as it's not one of those stupid midnight madness sales. You know, where the employees dress up in those ridiculous costumes that have nothing to do with what they're selling. <laughs> but your father would never do something stupid like that. <laughs> so, Al, what's your idea? <laughs> and they say as long as it's not one of those stupid midnight madness sales <laughs> i actually have a relatable story to this back in my early 20s i worked at a bank uh that was located inside of walmart we were always doing all types of uh goofy promotions and things like that to draw attention to the bank to get new new checking accounts, savings accounts, business accounts, things like that. Anyways, the, the bank I worked at, their, uh, their logo and their mascot was this giant talking tree uh, named Barkley, actually. Anyways, they would, <laughs> they would send, the, they would send the, the uh, tree costume to different branches, 
And uh, one month, my branch got it. And uh, since I was the youngest one there, <laughs> since I was the youngest employee there. I was the one who had to dress as a tree for, and it was for like a month. <laughs> so, and we a would month? do this. Uh, yeah, it, this went on for like a month. And uh, of course, I was, you know, I was 20 years old, so I didn't care. But we actually did. Uh, we we didn't call it uh, midnight madness, but we would do these um, things in the evening where we would get at the branch at like uh, 7 p.m. You know, which is late for a bank. You know. We'd get at to you know get up to the branch at like seven p.m. and we'd walk around the Walmart there with me in the costume from like seven until nine, <laughs> and of course you know you're dressed as this giant tree, and I'll see if I can find a picture of it up online and post it in the comments for people to see. But when you're dressed as this giant tree, you know kids want to come up and take pictures with you and stuff, and then you talk to the parents about uh, banking and things like that. But yeah, so I totally have this. Uh, Relatable story of what Alan Griff are about to go through. <laughs> wow! Did they try to climb you or something like that? What was that? Did they try to climb you or something like that? <laughs> Not really. It wasn't that type of tree. It was like a big green costume with a big goofy smile, big goofy eyes, and uh, you know, big arms. You know, I'll try to find a, a picture of the costume so you can see, but. It was definitely goofy and crazy. Like, I know what Alan Griff are going through. <laughs> yeah, no, the reason why I ask is, uh, you know, it's like if I, I can imagine like a little, like a two-year-old, like seeing like, like a tree, yeah. like some guy in a tree costume saying, so, yo, can I climb you? Yeah, <laughs> I can see that happening too, yeah. So Peg says, you know, like, what about this? You know, is it, I hope it's not one of those stupid Midnight Madness sales. Now, we saw a Midnight Madness sale. Uh, well, I mean, we weren't actually in the shoe store, but uh, we saw the ramifications of it. And that was in Wabbit season. If you remember in Wabbit season, Al lost his mind. Yep. After midnight, we're going to sell a lot of shoes. Hi, Daddy. Hello, miss. You want to buy a lot of shoes? Uh, I have shoes, Daddy. Uh, he doesn't recognize you, honey. Shoes? Come on, sweetheart, sit down over here. Uh, we're home now, sweetie. You remember, two kids, a dog, a room upstairs where you disappoint your wife. And, uh, I mean, that was uh, the, I guess, their homage to Warner Brothers. Yeah, definitely. But, but there was a Midnight Madness shoe sale that was going on. Now, I guess one of the other things we could talk about as we go on is that is a Midnight Madness sale really happening at midnight? Uh, that was like one of the things like I, I've never attended one, so I don't know. But, you know, if, um, for example, when they go to the theater uh, later on in the episode, it's a Midnight Madness sale. So like I would think they open their doors at midnight, correct? So it's like if Larry Storch is going to see... Uh, Al in the shoe store and the sales going on, you would think like, what is he getting there? Like at one o'clock in the morning? Like at what time is this uh, uh, theater presentation that Kelly's doing? Is it like at 3 a.m.? I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe one of our uh, listeners can comment on that. Maybe midnight magic just means in the evening, like starting like at 8 p.m. But it just doesn't make sense to me that, you know, you'd be having something at 3 a.m. Unless, again, it's illegal let's say in the case of the theater. So they need to do it to when no one's looking, right? 
Yeah, I you know, I, I think you may have hit the nail on the head there when you said that it's it's maybe they call it midnight madness, but they real it's really like at eight PM or something. Because I know like the story I was telling earlier when we used to do those, um, we we actually called them overnights. <laughs> Uh, and keep in mind that, you know, the branch I was working at was located inside of a Walmart and most Walmarts are open 24 seven. So we, we called these overnights, but we weren't actually there overnight. I mean, we, we got there at about 7 PM and we would stay till about nine or so, you know, which again is late for a bank, but we, we weren't actually there overnight. It was just a, a you know, an easy way to say, Hey, Chris, you're doing the overnight this week, right? Versus, hey, who wants to get here at seven and stay till about nine or nine thirty? You know, it's like it's just easier to say, hey, who's doing the overnight this week? <laughs> After Midnight is a rock song by J.J. Kale, first released in 1966. Eric Clapton later covered it for his eponymous album, released in 1970. Clapton's rendition became a success, prompting Kale to re-record the song for Kale's 1972 album, Naturally. In 1988, Clapton later re-recorded the song for a Michelob beer commercial and then released the re-recording as a single. After Midnight has been considered one of Clapton's signature songs throughout his career. And Annabelle had a meme of this, so I'm not sure if anybody saw it or understood what it was. <laughs> but um, yeah, like a great callback. You know, one of the things I'll say, Chris, is that in season nine, they began to do callbacks back to things that had been done in the past. Like, you know, Married with Children really doesn't have like a lot of continuity, as, as we know. Right. But occasionally, like they have some moments of brilliance. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, No Pot to Peas In, there were a lot of callbacks. Again, and that was a very meta episode. But uh, Daylight, Moonlight, Daylight, Moonlight, <laughs> Madness Sale, that was... Uh, uh, that was, I think, one. I'm, I'm not, I remember if that was in Wabbit Season. It might have been another one. Of course, there's Puggy Weaver. Uh, there's just there's just a bunch of them. So mm -hmm. uh, it looks like maybe they started to see that. Uh, I mean, a they were successful, and b maybe the end was uh, potentially <laughs> uh, the, the end could potentially come at any minute. So right. maybe they thought like season nine could potentially be the last season. Uh, so maybe they're just paying homage to some of their earlier work. Yeah. So in comes Kelly. Hey, Mom, but listen. I have been named Student of the Month at the Larry Stort School of Acting. <laughs> oh, honey, I, I couldn't be more proud of you. <laughs> Who's Larry Storch? He played Corporal Aegon in the TV show F Troop. So Kelly says that she's been named Student of the Month at the Larry Stort School of Acting. So Peggy says, who's Larry Storch? So I was like, he played Corporal Agarn on the TV show F Troop. Larry Storch is an American actor, voice actor, and comedian, best known for his comic television roles, including voiceover work for cartoon shows such as Mr. Whoopi on Tennessee Tuxedo and His Tales, and his live-action role of bumbling Corporal Randolph Agarn in F Troop. Of 
Indian fights are colorful sights and nobody takes a lickin'. Where pale face and red skin both turn chicken. When drilling and fighting get them down, they know their morale can't droop. As long as they all relax in town before they resume with a bang and a boom. F Troop! And F Troop is one of Al's favorite television shows. That's right. So F Troop is a satirical American TV show about U.S. soldiers and American Indians in the Wild West during the 1860s that originally aired for two seasons on ABC. It debuted in the U.S. on September 14, 1965 and concluded its run on April 6, 1967 for a total of 65 episodes. The first season of 34 episodes was broadcast in black and white and the second season in color. The series relied heavily on character-based humor, verbal and visual gags, slapstick, physical comedy, and burlesque comedy make up the prime ingredients for F Troop. The series played fast and loose with historical events and persons and often parodied them for comical effect. Now, you know, one thing uh, I'll point out in terms of television history, nowadays, you know, F Troop, based on what I'm seeing, was probably was a half-hour TV show, right? You know, 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. So the standard today is more for like a 26-episode series. So in other words, it's like if you have a pilot, well, let me just back up. So if you have a pilot, generally, as long as the pilot is successful, they'll order typically for the first season like 13 episodes for a half-hour series. Mm-hmm. And then when you order a full series, I believe it's 26 episodes. But through the 1960s, it could be a lot more. So in this case, you have uh, 34 episodes for F Troop in the first season, and it would be 31 episodes for the second season. It wasn't as standardized as it is today. Yeah, that's a lot of episodes for two seasons. (laughs) Same was true for Car 54, Where Are You? That was a show that I found, uh, Chris, like in the early 2000s. There was a TV show, a TV station in New York on cable called the Metro Station, and it depicted all types of TV shows and movies that took place in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I remember like coming home and like you know like in the early afternoon, let's say it was like 5 p.m., like just turning it on, and I discovered this Car 54. Where are you? And I thought it was hysterical, a uh, very different type of humor, and it stars Fred Gwynn, who was. Um, uh, Daddy Munster, Fred Munster. Oh, okay. And uh, and Al Lewis, who was um, Grandpa Munster later, as uh, two cops, including this other actor slash comedian named Joe E. Ross. Great show. I recommend you guys check it out. Uh, was he the one with the big... No, uh... no. That was Forrest Tucker. So... Peg is interested in knowing who uh, Larry Storch is and asks, was he the one with the big? And Bud says, no, no, that was Forrest Tucker. (laughs) Peg remembers that part, huh? (laughs) So Forrest Tucker. (laughs) Or or part of him, I guess. Right, she remembers that part of him, yeah. 
So Forrest Tucker was an American actor in both movies and television who appeared in nearly a hundred films. Tucker worked as a Vanderville straight man at the age of only 15 years old. A mentor provided funds and contacts for a trip to California where party hostess Cobina Wright persuaded guest Wesley Ruggles to give Tucker a screen test based on his photogenic good looks, thick wavy hair, and height of 6 feet 5 inches. Tucker was a sight reader who needed only one take and his film career started well despite perception in most Hollywood studios that blonde men were not photogenic. He enlisted in World War II after 20 years spent mainly in western and action role westerns and action roles. He returned to his roots, showing versatility as a comedic and stage musical actor. In the television series F Troop, he became identified with the character of Calvary Sergeant Morgan O'Rourke. Morgan O'Rourke. Tucker struggled with the drinking problem that began to affect his performances in the later years of his career. At six foot five, Tucker tied Sterling Hayden as the tallest actor, tallest star in Hollywood. Co-star Mary Windsor, at five foot nine, recalled that she was delighted to play opposite someone her own size. According to one story, while playing golf with Phil Harris, he was denied a gimme and objected to that distance was so short that he could knock the ball in with his penis. On being challenged, he accomplished that feat. <laughs> it must be what Peg's talking about. I, that's, I think, exactly what Peg is talking about. <laughs> that must have been a big deal at the time. I mean, it's interesting for the writers to put that joke in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and according to this, Forrest Tucker died in 1986. So okay. uh, I guess it was probably from someone's memory of this particular that. Now, Forrest, since Forrest Tucker was on F Troop, I guess that was where they made the connection. All right. And not only do I win dinner with Mr. Storch, but I get to do a scene with him on stage in front of very important producers. Larry and I are going to be a team, you know, like, like Wally and the Beavis. <laughs> so Kelly's excited to be acting with Larry Storch, and, it's, and she says that they're going to be a team, you know, like Wally and the Beavis. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a pun on Leave it to Beaver. And we saw Jerry Mathers in... One of your favorite episodes, as I recall. Yep. And also a reference to Beavis and Butthead, who were very popular uh, during this time period. I mean, I'd say, like, you know, their popularity was starting to wane off by about 1995. But, you know, I'd say 1992, 1993 was very, very popular. Yep. Now, Bud says this interesting line that is really uh, out of, uh, would be out of place today. So I don't know if you caught this. Kelly. What producer worth his cellular phone would give a tinker's damn about you and Larry Storch? So, I mean, what's your thought on uh, a value of a cellular phone today versus a value of a cellular phone back in 1995? Oh, gosh. I mean, I I suppose, uh, well, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Back in 1995, I mean, what, what would you say is the percentage of the population here in the U.S. that had a phone in 95? Uh, maybe five percent of people. Yeah, I was going to say five to ten, five, ten or more than that. Ten percent tops. And nowadays, I, I would say it's easily ninety percent, if not if not ninety five percent. Would you agree? <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, you know, so it's like and ninety five percent of them with smartphones. Maybe oh yeah, five like percent with a, a flip phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back back then it was probably basically just the one percent that had 
cell phones or business people, you know, uh, high ranking business people are the 1% or drug dealers and drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> now it's damn near anyone. I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said smartphones. I mean, I, it amazes me whenever I see, you know, five and six and seven year old kids walking around with smartphones. Like it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen when I see these <laughs> like kindergartners walking around with smartphones. But yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting to see what a phone cost, um, in 1995 because now you know if a new iphone comes out you know it may be a thousand dollars you know of course a lot of people finance that through the phone company but i wonder what a a phone cost in 1995 yeah and back then it probably would have been something like a motorola right i would think yeah, yeah. i'm gonna say it was probably maybe a few hundred dollars for the phone and then plus the service right and the service, the plan was probably really expensive because, like, I remember when, when I got I got my first phone, I was actually 18 when I got my first phone. <laughs> my high school era was kind of the interesting segue between beepers and um, cell phones because, like, I remember whenever I was in junior high, I remember thinking, man, I can't wait till I get to high school so I can get a beeper, you know, a pager. And uh, by the time I got to high school, people started dropping pagers. And you like you slowly started seeing these cell phones pop up, and I saw more and more of them. You know, as a, like a sophomore and a junior, and then finally as a senior, I got my first phone. You know, and that would have been around 2002, 2003, and you know it was just a regular phone then, but I pretty much just had the talk function on it. <laughs> and then my next phone was a flip, uh, a nice flip phone. You know, sure, it's uh. It's just interesting how it's cell phones. You know, we, we could talk all day about how technology in the last 20 years has, has changed the world, but there's probably not a single piece of technology that's changed uh, the world like smartphones have, you know? Oh, I, absolutely. I mean, because like nowadays, you know, if you lose your cell phone, if you think about it, you know, you have your banking application on it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can pay people <laughs> with it. You know, you could take uh, pictures with it. I mean, like the, the value, I mean, not the value of the cell phone itself, but the value of what's on it. Right. Is almost priceless. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Especially if you, you know, if you have a lot of, you know, if you have family photos on there or if you have travel photos on there and i'm sure you've seen that meme online before where it says you know it shows a picture of a cell of, of an iphone and it says this phone has all the capabilities of everything on this desk from 1990 or whatever it is and the desk has a flashlight a compass a calculator uh, a, a stack of encyclopedias a bank ledger <laughs> it has all this stuff uh, you know all these things that you would need just for everyday life in 1990 we have it all just in the palm of our hands now that's right yep i've seen it you know and you know like another thing you know i was mentioning how how my high school era was kind of the segue between pagers and and uh, phones another thing that that really changed cha you know changed everything that was a uh, gps you know and of course we have that on the phone the, our cell phones of course but i uh when i was in high school the big thing was MapQuest. i'm sure you remember that of course they do. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That was the big thing. You need directions. You print. You go to you know you go to MapQuest.com, and you print the directions out, and you take turn by turn on that. And uh, I wonder, 
I'm going to go to Google right now. Does MapQuest even still exist? <laughs> I think it does. I'm just curious because I haven't. I probably haven't gone to MapQuest.com in, I don't know, 15 years. <laughs> One of my friends I was just texting with just before we started recording. It just so happens that today's his birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, a conversation was around cartoons. And he was like, well... It's like, like, where do kids see cartoons nowadays? You know, like the cartoons in a newspaper? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have no idea because, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, if you do read the news, I mean, not as many people like pick up a newspaper like they did years ago, mm-hmm. right? So like you have a comics page, right? Like where do people, you know, where do kids read the comics? Because that would be the first thing when I was a kid, if I had my hands on a newspaper, I'd be reading the comics, right? <laughs> well, it's like... Um, you know, how do you get that media? Now, if you think about the, your MapQuest idea, like you would print out those directions and you'd have them in your passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And as you're driving, you would almost have that sheet of paper. Either you're looking over or you have it in front of you as you're driving to say, okay, make a right here, make a left here. Right. You know, so, so I recently traded, in, traded my car. So uh, I had a car and I decided to uh, trade it in for a bigger one, right? Mm-hmm. So I paid like the difference between the sizes. It was uh, a used car, but it was like one year newer. And, you know, when you look at all of the stuff that's in it, first of all, the car has its complete touchscreen. Yeah. So if I want to, if I'm driving and it's like, hey, like I need to get from point A to point B, I can put an address in and literally like where my odometer and speedometer is supposed to be. It's now fully electronic. And in addition to like seeing the directions on the center, on the center console, Uh like right in front of me where the odometer and the speedometer are, it opens up and literally it, it makes a picture of the road in front of me and it tells me exactly when to turn. Like there's no, it's not like saying it's like, oh, in 500 feet, make a right. Mm-hmm. It's like literally it shows me, it's like, oh, you're, you're ready to make a right. You know, and you just follow <laughs> the signs. I mean, and think of like how techno, how much technology is involved with that versus like what you talked about with MapQuest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the only problem is like I, I find with all this technology and I work in technology is that I feel like it's made us more stupid. You know, we don't think anymore. Yep. You're exactly right. I, w- I was telling someone this just the other day, actually. When I was when I was in high school, man, I probably had I, I, I can't even begin to guess how many phone numbers I had memorized in my head. Every person I knew, I had I mean, friends, you know, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, the corner store at the end of the road, the wall, the local Walmart. I had all those numbers memorized in my head. Now. I probably don't have five phone numbers memorized in my head. <laughs> it's like, why would I? My phone does everything for me, you know? Same with spelling, man. Like, I was when I was in uh, elementary school, every year I was like, I don't think I ever actually won, but I was always like runner-up for the spelling bee at my school. Now I can't spell worth of the shit because my, my phone corrects everything. My phone auto-corrects everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, yep. made, it's made me so lazy, I don't have to think about it. Um at all, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I guess the last point I'll make on that is that uh, on, on this particular topic is that when, you know, I said it makes us stupid. I mean, because really what it is, is we become lazy. And yep. I think like, it's great to have the conveniences. But you know, what I always say to people is like, what if it doesn't work? Right. Uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the world we live in today, like, there could be like some kind of a cyber attack or something of that nature. Well, let's say that knocks out. Like imagine if GPS satellites were knocked out for a couple of days. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, 
probably there would be panic, worldwide panic as a result of that. Yeah. Right? But it's like, hey, guys, like, why don't you just, you know, bust out, you know, your dusty old uh, maps, you know, your yep. uh, AAA maps and just look it up. Yeah. And, and I, I, to me, that's like something that, you know, again, a child. So, you know, I have uh, a 10 and an eight year old. Like if I gave that to them and said, hey, you know, can you find this street on uh, on this map? I mean, they wouldn't know where to begin. No. Because like because because it's been so easy for them with with current technology, like some people would be shut would shut down, and I even think some older people who've gotten used to the technology would probably forget how they used to do it years before. Yep. Well, you know the you know the next big thing that that's going to be big for this next generation, if Tesla and Google and such can can figure it out fully, is the the self driving cars. I think that's something we will see. You know, they're out there already, but, you know, they're not mainstream yet. But that's something we'll likely see in our lifetime. I actually rode in a self-driving car probably about five years ago now. I was on a layover uh, at work. I was in Phoenix, and they were uh, they were piloting this program. I called an Uber, and, uh, you know, an alert came up on the app that said, we're piloting a self-driving car here in um the area would you like to ride uh, and they're like just fyi your ride will be free i was like sure why not you know of course i said yes and uh this this car pulled up and it was like a spaceship dude it was like <laughs> it was like an suv i think it was and it had huge lights up top and can't you know huge cameras and all this stuff and um i got in and there's actually two humans sitting in the front seat and i was like hey i thought this was supposed to be a self-driving car and uh, the guy in the driver's seat said, oh, it is. Uh, I'm just here in case there's any issues I can take over. And the guy in the passenger's seat was like, uh, and I'm just the technician in case there's any issues. So we got in. My ride was only maybe three or four miles away. I was going to a restaurant, you know. And um, you know, I got in, and the car drove pretty well, I have to say. The And the drive, you know, they weren't bluffing. The driver's hands, or the, the guy in the passenger seat, his hands never touched the wheel and his feet never touched the pedal. The car did all the work. It was a little herky-jerky on the turns and stuff, a little shaky, you know? But uh, this was five years ago now, so I assume they've gotten a lot better now. But ha have you ever rode in a uh, self-driving car before? Not a self-driving one, although my new car has what's something called pilot assist. Uh huh. So what that does is, if I put it in pilot assist mode, first of all, it has like a an adjustable like uh, cruise control. So if I set it to, let's say 55 miles an hour mm -hmm. and the car in front of me is braking, my car will sense it and slow down. Oh, cool. uh, literally also come to a complete stop in uh, traffic if necessary. Mm -hmm. And then just, you know, sort of accelerate. And once traffic breaks up, you know, it'll go back up to a maximum of 55 miles an hour is where I set it to. And the other thing is, is that as I'm driving, uh, the pilot assist function, what it does is it'll sort of drive the car for you as you're driving, but you have to keep your hands on the steering wheel. So okay. it's not like I, I can't let go, but it will turn it on the highway as long as it's detecting the lanes. Gotcha. It's a little freaky. I mean, I got it about a month ago yeah. and I went out for a drive. I, I took like a took it out for an entire day of driving just to get used to it. Mm -hmm. Pretty, I mean, pretty cool, but also a little scary. Yeah. But I'll tell you, like yesterday, I drove probably for about two hours and it I wasn't like as exhausted driving the car because like once I started using all these features, it's like, hey, like, you know, I just pretty much like set it and it did most of the highway driving for me. Makes it easy on you, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, I saw the pictures of your car. It looked like a nice car, man. I was happy for it when I saw that. But I, I think that's going to be the next, well, one of the next big things that we see in our lifetime. Uh, you know, who knows with the way technology works nowadays, it, it might be by the time your kids start driving, we might start seeing those on the road. You know, in, in, a, in a few weeks, we're going to be reviewing uh, the uh, last episode with Juliet Tablack mm -hmm. on, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, on the show. And that's the one where uh, Bud's wearing the virtual sex costume, right? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, that's almost come to pass as well, right? Yep. <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, let's get back to this episode. Mm -hmm. Larry Storch? <laughs> Did I hear somebody say Larry Storch? Yep, that's right, Daddy. The Larry Storch is coming over here for dinner. <laughs> Everybody's favorite corporal coming here to my least favorite place. <laughs> oh, finally, the rewards of a righteous life. <laughs> what is the big fuss about this corporal egg roll guy? Corporal egg gone, you blasphemous heathen. <laughs> See, you don't understand the genius of the man. See, an F troop, when one of the idiots in his regiment would make him mad, he'd go walking over to him, like only he could walk, and give him a good whack on the head with his hat. You just don't see that anymore. There's a lot of things I don't see anymore. Especially if they're more than 100 feet from the couch. When's he coming? Next Tuesday night. Get souks. That's the same time as my Midnight Madness shoe sale. <laughs> That's, uh, if, if I was having one. <laughs> well, all right, I'll just make Griff do everything. Sweetheart, I've got to have a picture of Larry hitting me with his hat. Do we have any film? Besides the one on your teeth? <laughs> oh, if only I had a hat. With a big rock in it. <laughs> So Al hears the magic name of Larry Storch and comes running down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Chris, I mean, you notice his hair. It looks like he has like a shaving cream on it, right? Yeah. What the I, hell is that? I was going to say a couple things about this. Uh, first of all, what exactly is that in his hair and why? Because, I mean, it's definitely not shampoo. It looks either like shaving cream or whipped cream. And so the question is, why the hell does he have that in his hair? <laughs> Right. I mean, the thing is, you know, when he like hugs Christina Applegate, I mean, she gets some of that on her face. So yes. to me, it's like it's probably whipped cream, I would think. Yes. So I, right? I, I mean, I have a story about this and I think it was Annabelle that put it in the notes here that there was a uh, a, a blooper on this uh, back in a, a, a special that uh, Fox ran for Married with Children back in the day. I actually remember seeing that blooper. I don't know if you saw that episode, but they I, I don't think. Um, when Ed O'Neill gets that whipped cream on Christina's face, originally that wasn't supposed to happen like that. But every time they would hug or he would get close to her, it would happen. So they finally told her, hey, do that. Do it like that because it's funnier. Hmm. <laughs> and you'll notice he got it all over her face. <laughs> but originally, I don't think that was supposed to happen like that. I've seen that outtake that uh, says in the notes here, uh, it was a Fox blooper special that ran in 2005. I've seen that that... Annabelle's referring to. It's pretty funny. It'd be cool if we could uncover that and post it. So Al professes his love for Larry Storch, and there's some back and forth with Peg. Yeah, you know, one of the things I would say is, you know, um, 
Yeah, I just wish some more TV characters got whacked in the head. Like, again, that was like popular in the 60s. So uh, Corporal Agarn would do that, I guess, on F Troop. Uh, the Skipper used to do that with Gilligan. Mm-hmm. Right. I th- and I think that's maybe the callback at the end. Like when we get to the last joke. Yeah. We can. Uh, we'll talk about it then. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we cut to Alan Griff in the shoe store. Tell me again what werewolves have to do with shoes. Again? Wolves. Night. Moon. Shoes. See, wolves are nocturnal. They hunt at night. Hence, wolves, night. Moon shoes. <laughs> now back up. You're about to see the Midnight Madness shoe sale at its ugliest. And perhaps, perhaps at its fattest. <laughs> you know, if these were real, I'd rip you to shreds. <laughs> so Griff is ticked off about having to wear these costumes. Hey, by the way, uh, something we haven't talked about. Did, did you find it odd? Did you notice how um, in the shoe store, the the windows are blocked off with that uh, paper? Yes. Did you notice that? I did. Yeah, because it has written sale written on it. It's like a, like a cheap paper sale. But I think part of it was, was that, you know, you remember how when they open the door, there's mm-hmm. like, like a t- the tumbleweed comes over? Yeah. It's like, so in other words, they want to show that, you know, for, to us, the audience, we don't know what's happening out there. Right. If there are, because Al says maybe there's like a lot of women out there waiting to get into the store. Okay. So I think they needed to cover the windows in order to, for us to not see anyone. Otherwise, okay. you could look through the glass. I think that was the reason why they okay. did that. I was wondering, I was trying to figure out, is it maybe a possibility that they had another set set up there from another episode before or after this? Because I was, I mean, my thought was if you're really doing a midnight sale, you would want to draw as much attention to your costumes as possible. That way people come in and talk to you, you know? I just thought it was weird that they had the window blocked like that. <laughs> but yeah, that makes sense because they wanted the illusion for the audience to be, well, there's a bunch of women standing out there, but then never mind, it's a tumbleweed. <laughs> right. We cut right back to the Bundy living room. Hurry up, Kelly. Mr. Scorch will be here any minute. <laughs> so excited. I mean, just imagine me and Larry Storch on the stage together. Tonight, I become a lesbian. I think you mean a thespian, dear. Yeah, well, the reviews aren't in yet. So, how do I look? Like a uh, limited edition condom pack in Barbie? <laughs> Bud, you look nice. Oh, hey, by the way, can you say... You'll never get me, Batman! Quack, quack, quack! You never get me, Batman! That's funny. 
Hey, you know the way they keep uh, messing up Larry Storch's name and uh, F Troop kind of reminds me of the way that they uh, keep messing up uh, the name of uh, Grandmaster B. <laughs> yeah. Grand, Grand Marshal B. <laughs> Grandpappy B. Grand Granddaddy B. Or whatever. And, you know, when, when they mentioned Larry Storch on the No Pot to Peas in episode, I, I think I said that, you know, probably uh, something like F Troop was one of the inspirations for the writing of Married with Children. It's like, you know, the fact that it was farcical, you know, it was they're, they're trying to make fun of like modern day stuff with like by setting it someplace else. So I think. I said, my theory is, I think that, you know, they just paid a homage to Larry Storch in that episode. And then, you know, I think somebody came up with the story idea of actually getting him later. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's probably exactly how it went. So Bud says that Kelly looks like a limited edition condom packing Barbie. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And then uh, Kelly insults him by saying, you know, he looks like the penguin. <laughs> Should be amusing. <laughs> And that was a callback to the Burgess Meredith playing the Penguin in the 1966 Batman series. And our own Alex Edwards is a really big uh, Batman fan. Yep, he sure is. So we have a note here from Annabelle. She says, incidentally, have you noticed that Robin from the 1940s Batman series looks a lot like Bud? (laughs) So I think we should check that out. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I got to look up a picture of that. Yeah. Hold on. You know what? It's right there in the notes. So let's bring that up real quick. Yeah. Yep, I can see it. <laughs> I can definitely see it. So now Bud makes an interesting observation. Mom, I'm just trying to make her understand that this whole Larry Stort school of acting thing is a fraud. Just like the Larry Stort school of karate. <laughs> or, or the Larry Stort school of heating and air conditioning repair. He says that this whole Larry Stort school of acting thing is a fraud, just like the Larry Stort school of karate or the Larry Stort school of heating and air conditioning repair. so they're saying that pretty much he's a shyster and a loser larry storch is not a fraud now before i started his acting school i was untrained i was undisciplined i was un a bunch of things (laughs) but since i've been studying at his wise and wonderful feet i now can soar with the beagles (laughs) i i am a moth and Larry Storch is my flame. You know, she's one small step from selling Watchtower. You know, Kelly also says, but since I've been studying at his wise and wonderful feet, I can now soar with the Beagles. <laughs> the Beagles as opposed to the Eagles. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> I mean, I think like we just see all these malapropisms and, you know, all these Kelly stupid things all at once. 
And Bud says, you know, she's one small step from selling Watchtower. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a Jehovah's Witness joke. The Watchtower announcing Jehovah's Kingdom is an illustrated religious magazine published monthly by Jehovah's Witness via the the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of Pennsylvania. Jehovah's Witness distribute the Watchtower Public Edition along with its companion magazine, Awake, in their door-to-door ministry. The Watchtower Public Edition has an average circulation of approximately 93 million copies every four months in 369 languages. The Watchtower Study Edition used at congregation meetings has an average monthly circulation of around 14 million. So, Luigi, have you ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door before? Plenty of times. <laughs> Do you ever answer the door? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, because sometimes you don't know, like, you know, because sometimes I guess the repeats, <laughs> you know, yeah. the repeats, but uh, I've, uh, I mean, I've had, I've opened it, you know, and they've talked and usually it's like, well, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Right. Yeah. I will give it to them. They're very persistent, though. Yeah. You know. Not sure who's more persistent or, or, or faithful, I guess you could say, Jehovah's Witness or the Latter-day Saints. They're both really persistent. Uh, the Latter-day Saints, are, are they, uh, is that a big thing up in New York, uh, Mormons at all? Um, not, I mean, they're, they are out there. Usually like what, uh, for Mormons, you see them like in pairs. Yeah. I guess Mormons who are on their, uh, what do they call it, their mission. Yeah. Two guys on bikes, basically. Right. Yeah. Well, t- well, not well. I mean, not in New York City. I mean, it's difficult with bicycles, but because yeah. uh, they'll ride the subway. But you know, you'll see them in pairs. Okay. Uh, they'll have their literature, and you know, they have they have like a a white shirt, and their ties, and all that. Yep. And I don't see them so much like going door to door, but like they're usually like in a public space. Yeah. Uh, but whereas the Jehovah's Witnesses do go door to door. Yeah. Man, I tell you what. It's so here in Texas, the big thing, and, and now I will say, uh, you know, Latter day Saints is uh, not really big in the South, it's more like you know, Utah and places like that. But I think I may see a lot more than most because there's a, a church of Latter day Saints uh, literally a mile from my house, so I see these guys all over here and they ride their bikes. And I don't care if it's 110 degrees with 100% humidity. These guys are out on their bikes in their slacks and their white shirts and ties. <laughs> I have to, I have to give them credit for that. They are definitely uh, persistent and faithful. Of course, if I see them in the neighborhood, I'd never open the door. But <laughs> I'm just like, no thanks. But I do give them credit. That takes a lot to do that in this Houston heat. Put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess my only comment to that would be like maybe somebody should send a note to their leadership saying, "It's like, hey, do we have like a summer uniform?" Yeah, I mean, I'm, I just want like, <laughs> let these guys wear guys wear some shorts and some t-shirts, okay? It's just like they're just burning me up. I mean, golly, man. So, so one last thing on this is a Kelly scene here where she's talking about, um, you know, being a, a thespian and. Uh, <laughs> Talking about soaring with the Beagles, this was uh, this scene was used for her opening credits for seasons ten and eleven. Yep, sure was. And then we hear his car. Oh, there's your father and his Dodge. No, no, that's Larry Storch and his Dodge. <laughs> 
Listen, bud, tonight is very, very important to me. Just try to treat him with the respect a man of his stature deserves, okay? What's funny is, you know, when we hear that Dodge joke, I think totally most of the audience probably assumed that was Al pulling up. Because <laughs> we've, we've heard that sound with Al pulling up before, and it's always, you know, him pulling up in his Dodge. But nope, it's another guy in a Dodge. <laughs> so in comes the famous Larry Storch himself. Anybody want to buy a Dodge? One owner, one gear, one dollar. <laughs> one bullet. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Storch. Huh. I'd like to introduce you to my lovely family, but huh. we'll just go with what's here. Uh, <laughs> this is my mom, Peggy. Uh, how do you do? How do you do, Mr. Storch? I just loved you in a D cup. <laughs> That's F troop. Oh, and, uh, this is our dog, Buck. Hi, Charming. Oh, there's our favorite clock. Oh, <laughs> oh, and here's the hat my dad bought so you could hit him over the head with it. <laughs> oh, and uh, here's our favorite can of Hey, him! Um, and there's my brother, Bud. Oh, the kid with the rubber woman. <laughs> Kelly did a brilliant, brilliant monologue in class depicting your sad, pathetic life. I laughed, I cried, and now that I meet you, I'm laughing again. <laughs> well, if I could just borrow some jumper cables, why, we can get the show on the road. Uh, not just yet. You see, my husband really wants to meet you, and he's still at work. He's a huge fan of yours. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, in his defense, he's also a shoe salesman. <laughs> so, when's the old shoe slinger coming home? Well, you see, he's having this madness sale. You know, wolf, night, moon, moron. <laughs> well, he's probably just in a selling frenzy right now. So Kelly introduces Larry to the family. <laughs> and Peggy says, you know, I loved you in D cup. <laughs> and he says, that's F troop. So, you know, my comment on this is that <laughs> I think maybe Peggy has, a, has uh, Larry mixed up with maybe like some adult film that maybe she and Al watched. Yeah. Because D cup sounds like a movie that Al would watch. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like <laughs> breast monsters from Jupiter or something like that. Mrs. Ashfire. <laughs> Right. I mean, because later, you know, she messes it up again and calls it G-Spot. Yeah. So that's sort of where I made the connection. Yeah. Well, we know what's on Peg's mind 24-7, so. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, that, that dialogue between Larry and Bud about, oh, he's like, oh, the kid with the rubber woman. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, and then we we cut to, well, Peggy says, well, you know, my husband is like, well, he's a huge fan. And he's like, and Larry gets all excited. But but says in his defense, he's also a shoe salesman. <laughs> and then, like, he gets the the hat hit over his head. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And that was, again, you know, a callback, you know, for me at least to episode nine, a no pot to peas in, because... Yeah, if you remember on that episode, Chris, I was like, you know, like, what is it in this Married with Children universe that makes this job of shoe salesman the worst job in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I mean, we really start seeing it. I mean, we see it from the beginning that Al's a shoe salesman. But, yeah. you know, you remember, like, for example, even in, in the England episode, right? <laughs> 
It's like they're going to take a picture, and then all of a sudden, it's like you see Larry Jacobson and I think it's Stacy Lip right on on screen, mm-hmm. and it's like they look at him, they just laugh. It's like oh, shoe salesman, they just laugh about it. You know, I mean, yep. I always said a job is a job. I mean, you know, if someone sells shoes, they sell shoes. But like, why is it such a punchline? <laughs> But, uh, you know, this is like another instance of like that punchline of like it being the worst job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, there's probably some shoe salesman out there. There's probably some guy in the, in the 90s that so, uh, sold shoes that probably didn't like this show just because they were always making fun of shoe salesmen. <laughs> you yeah, know, probably. He's probably like, damn it, I like my job selling shoes. I don't like that job. <laughs> so now we cut back to the shoe store and Alan Griff are on the couch and... Griff catches a fly with his mouth. (laughs) I'll get it. I hate a fly. Well, deal with it. Hello? Al, it's me. Uh, Larry from G-Spot is here. Great, Peg. Keep him there. Well, all right. But, honey, hurry. Oh, and on your way home, do you think you could pick me up some of those little... Griff, the agarn has landed. I gotta get home. What if we get a customer? Well, don't be silly. Who's going to come in here? We're dressed like wolves. (laughs) No one is going to stop me from meeting my TV hero. Uh, Al, uh, Gary. Gary's not going to keep me from meeting him either. See, you know what your trouble is? You're afraid of the boss. Yeah, just because Gary's built like a man. (laughs) It doesn't mean she can hit like one. Let her come in here and sell shoes. (laughs) I'm a... Don't fire me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So now Peg calls and tells uh, Al that Larry from G-Spot is here. (laughs) Peggy, Peggy, Peggy. (laughs) And I think she wants him to pick up some tampons. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what she was going to say. Uh, anyway, so uh, Al says to Griff, the Agarn has landed. And that is from Apollo 11 moon landing line, uh, the Apollo 11 moon landing line. The Eagle has landed. <laughs> That's right. Very famous line. Yep. Uh, said by Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So now Al's going to try to rush home to see his TV hero. And the only thing that'll stop him is his boss who comes up behind him. Yep. This is the single funniest uh, line in the whole episode of my series. This is pretty hilarious. <laughs> what, the please don't fire me? Yeah, just just that whole exchange where Al goes, you know, you see, Griff, your your trouble is you're afraid of the boss. And, he, and Al just basically unloads on Gary, or just starts mocking her, having no idea that she was standing right behind him. <laughs> yeah. It's choreographed well, too. They shot that well where just as Al starts making fun of her, she walks in. And just because Gary looks like a man doesn't mean she could fight like one. <laughs> Let her come down here and sell shoes. <laughs> That's what everyone has always wanted to say to their boss. Let them come down here and do what we do, you know? 
<laughs> and you know, and this is a, a great television trope, you know, because usually it's like, I mean, there's always that setup, right? Yep. On any TV show, it's like, oh, like I'm not gonna tell, blah blah blah, and all of a sudden it's like that person's right behind them, yep, and they go on and on and all that. So like that was um, very typical. Yep. So now we cut back to the living room. And Peg, Kelly, Bud, and Larry decide that they're going to split up so that Larry can go see Al and Kelly can get to the theater. Uh, Mr. Storch, that was Al. Something's come up at the shoe store and he wants us to bring you down there. Wait, but Mom, we got to rehearse. I mean, after dinner, we're doing our big scene from Phantom of the Opera. Kelly, the very first rule of acting, never disappoint your public. No, actually, that's the second rule of acting. The first rule is, never have the chili relleno before you do Hamlet. <laughs> Where's Al working? Maybe we can just stop by and see him before dinner. Uh, no. Then he'll want to eat with us. I know what we'll do. We'll all go out to dinner, then Bud will take you down to meet Al, and Kelly and I'll go on to the theater. Oh, gee, thanks, Ma. Can I pick you up a nice big box of panty shields while I'm out? <laughs> you mention it Kelly, actually to get to the theater you must first go through the larry storch school of acting and then you must proceed to the larry storch performing art center so you mean crawl through the vent into the old movie house next door bingo isn't this exciting and i thought the theater was dead no no it just smells that way but you get used to it. <laughs> so the scene that they're going to act out is from Phantom of the Opera. So the Phantom of the Opera is a novel by French writer Gaston Leroux. Sorry to my French speakers out there. Although I don't think we have too many on, on Married with Children. <laughs> French fans. So it was first published as a serialization in Les Galois from September 23rd, 1909 to January 8th, 1910. It was adopted into a musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber with lyrics by Charles Hart and a book by Lord Webber and Richard Stilgo. The musical opened in London's West End in 1986 and on Broadway in 1988. It is the longest running show in Broadway history by a wide margin and celebrated its 10,000th Broadway performance on February 11, 2012, the first production ever to do so. It's the second longest running West End musical after Les Miserables and the third longest West End show overall after The Mousetrap. That's interesting. I believe it's still playing, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Larry says that uh, you're not supposed... There are two rules of acting, right? The first one is uh, act, never disappoint your public, but it's really it's the second rule. Uh, so uh, do you want to tell us the first rule? Because yeah, the- I think this is from your neck of the woods, right? Yeah, the first rule is to never eat the chili relino before you do Hamlet. <laughs> chili relinos are usually filled with Asadero, Asiago, or Monterey Jack cheese, but can also be found with cheddar or other cheeses, as well as ground or minced meat. Typically, the chili is then dipped in an egg white batter and either pan-filled or deep-fried. Chili Relinos are a popular popular cuisine in the U.S. state of New Mexico, where the hatch chili is revered for its slender rather than round shape and medium to hot flavor. In the contiguous U.S., US uh, Relinos are typically served with red or green chili sauce or mole. 
Yeah. And the reason why he says, uh, Larry says about Hamlet is that it is the longest Hamlet play. So in other words, you know, you're probably going to have an explosion yeah. <laughs> if you try doing Hamlet after Chile Relinos. So Hamlet is a tragedy written by Shakespeare sometime between 1599 and 1601. Set in Denmark, the play depicts Prince Hamlet and his revenge against his uncle Claudius, who has murdered Hamlet's father in order to seize his throne and marry Hamlet's mother. Yeah, so um, obviously there the joke is that you're going to be hitting the toilet. So trying to wait to get through Hamlet after eating one is pretty much a near impossibility. <laughs> Bud, as they leave, he says to Peg, can I pick you up a nice box of panty shields while I'm out? <laughs> so I feel like that's maybe what uh, Peg was going to ask Al. Mm-hmm. So we also find out that Larry has uh, a very questionable business record because in order to get to the Performing Arts Center, like you have to go through a vent, <laughs> you have to crawl through a vent into the old movie house. Right. <laughs> oh, God. So we cut back to the shoe store, and now Alan Griff are standing behind, well, in front of, excuse me, the uh, register while Gary's looking at yesterday's take. So, this is really today's take? Actually, ma'am, that's yesterday's take. We were gonna bring it to the bank, but they have a 50 cent minimum deposit. Luckily, we haven't taken our commission out yet. Which, of course, we're going to plow right back into the business. <laughs> so, all she finds is some change, and uh, the reason why there's change in the register was that the bank has a 50-cent minimum on the deposit. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's something we will probably see the end of in our lifetime. In fact, in some businesses, we're already seeing the, the end of it, is uh, cash registers. <laughs> you know, we're slowly but surely morphing into a cashless society. Actually, I was I went to uh, Splashtown yesterday, which is a local water park here in Houston, and it's a hundred percent cashless. You can't uh, you no. can't use cash to get in. You can't use cash to to pay for parking. Uh, you can't use cash to pay for uh, uh, food or anything like that. Is there are there any places in your area that have gone a hundred percent cashless like that yet? Not that I've noticed. I mean, I, I'd say I use my debit card a lot. Yeah. You know, like, whereas maybe like 20 years ago, I would always have at least, you know, I think my 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 target always was to have about 100 bucks in cash. Yeah. And in, in my in my wallet just for, you know, just to make sure like if I needed something, right? Like, sure. if they, because like, you know, you don't want to have to run to the bank. So I would always have, you know, like some a couple of 20s and 10s and 5s, yeah. always as a reserve. And I'd say, you know, and that would be spent, let's say, over the course of a week or two, right? Right. You know, on various things as I'm, as I'm purchasing. Nowadays, I've probably had $100 in my wallet for months yep. on end without having to spend it because almost every place I go into takes a debit card. Right. I, I even remember uh, McDonald's a few years back. They had a commercial where it was like, if you want to be in the slow lane, you're going to pay with cash, right? Yep. But if you want to be in the quick lane, just, you know, order and, you know, insert your chip card. Yep. And it was like, and it was almost like showing it as a, as a conveyor belt. Yeah. And it makes sense, too. You don't have to worry about uh, anyone skimming, you know, the, the cash register. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about uh, change and all that. And pretty much the, the money's in the bank account instantaneously. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, and and I think uh, some of I think that um, the COVID era may have sped that up a little bit. We're talking about you know a lot of businesses going to cashless because uh, you just swipe your card on the terminal versus handing cash back and forth and handing uh, change back and forth. Of course, the the um, coin shortage, the nationwide coin shortage that we had in 2020 contributed that to that as well. But it was, uh, I was surprised yesterday was the first time I'd been to Splashtown in a number of years. And uh, I was surprised to see that everything was cashless. Uh, I mean, it wasn't even an option. I mean, it signs everywhere. You cannot pay for parking with cash, <laughs> you know, so. I did not amass my considerable personal fortune by giving up. I am determined to turn this place around and I'll tell you why. Years ago, in my first business venture, I went with what I thought was the sure thing. But it turned out that my partner was a shyster. I lost my shirt. You still had your bra, didn't you? Shut up. From that day forward, I vowed two things. One, that I would never again have a failing business venture. And two, I would exact my revenge from the guy that ripped me off. What kind of business was it? The Larry Storch School of Heating and Air Conditioning Repair. Larry Storch is in the house. Hit the deck. So we find out that Gary, uh, early in her career, had been ripped off by Larry Storch because she was part of the his business venture in the Larry Stewart School of Heating and Air Conditioning Repair, which we had heard of earlier. So in comes Larry. So Larry's knocked out. The only thing that Al wants to be able to take his picture with him. Yep. <laughs> Al just wants to get that quick picture. Oh, this is great. This is great. What are we going to do now? Don't worry about it. Give them to me. Bring them over here. What are we going to do? Give them mouth to mouth? No, no, no. You are. <laughs> but first, take our picture. Come on, Dad. Forget about Larry Storch. This is Kelly's big night. She's waiting at the theater. You got to do the right thing, Dad. And I intend to. What right thing? <laughs> And, you know, and just like a good father, you know, and I have to give, you know, Married with Children some credit here. Mm-hmm. For the, all the dysfunction that we see, at the end of the day, Al does love his pumpkin. Yeah, he does. Right? So, so he does. So, you know, Bud says, you know, she's, you know, Kelly's waiting at the theater and you got to do the right thing, Dad. Right? Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, you know who this, uh, you know who this scene makes me think of? Do you remember Jamie, uh, Alex's co-host from season four through seven? Of course. She always loved the episodes where Al stood up for Kelly or for where Al proved his love for Kelly. And this is a moment where Al definitely proves he loves his pumpkin. Now, of course, he fails miserably in his attempt, but uh, it's the thought that counts. And he definitely uh, tries his best to help her. You know, (laughs) one of the things that makes Married with Children work, you know, as you were saying, we see all this defunction or uh, defunction, dysfunction, <laughs> defunction. I'm just making up words now. We uh, we see all this dysfunction. We... I guess that would be death. Defunction would be death, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we see all this defun- uh, dis- dysfunction 
and them at each other's throats and all this stuff. But when it really comes down to it, they really do love each other. You know, think, you know, think about this moment and think about the, the time where um, uh, Bud uh, stood up for Kelly uh, at the uh, Mensa meeting. I forget what they called it, but it was basically a Mensa meeting where they were making fun of yep. her. And, you know, you think about uh, the time Peggy had the, you know, the option to sell Al to Vanna White, and she ultimately decided to keep him, you know. <laughs> so the, these moments make the show work, because if it was just dysfunction episode after episode after episode after episode, you'd eventually you'd be like, man, these people really do hate each other. But you need these reminders from time to time to, to understand that they really do love each other, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So we cut now to the theater. So glad you could join us. Oh, we're thrilled to be here. Yeah, wild horses couldn't have dragged us away. I'd be happy if one kicked me in the head right about now. Well, it's about time you showed up. Hey, where's Larry? Uh, well, he, well, he's in his dressing room. Okay. You just go get ready, all right? Okay. I'm so excited. Today, Chicago. Tomorrow, Saturday. <laughs> Bud, what took you so long at the shoe store? Uh, nothing, nothing. Everything's fine. You did leave the car running, didn't you? <laughs> Now, I'd say one of the things about this episode is I, I'd say probably this episode may be one of the, at least up to this point, the one episode where we have so many scene changes. It's like they keep going back and forth. It's like, you know, living room, shoe store, living room, shoe store, mm -hmm. back to the living room, now to the theater, you know. <laughs> so it's like you really have to pay attention, right? Because, uh, you know, I mean, there's a couple of lines of dialogues and then a scene change. So now we've actually see Marcy and Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is one of those that, you know, in hindsight, you know, knowing what we know now, it's one of those. It was it was obvious that uh, Amanda Burst was directing because we see her just so briefly uh, actually on screen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Larry Storch players present a Larry Storch production of Larry Storch's Phantom of the Opera. Coming to you in Surround Storch, starring Larry Storch and his student of the month, Ms. Kelly Bundy. Thanks. <laughs> of all the opera joints in all the world, he had to walk into mine. <laughs> I care not that his face stoppeth a clocketh. Tis the heart that beats neath the face that I desire to see. I would not forsake you, O oh my ghostly one. I shall search for the E. That's the, you idiot. Oh. I shall search for thee, you idiot. 
And yeah, this is one of the other things I find funny. Like everything is about Larry Storch. It's in other words, it's like the Larry Storch players present a Larry Storch production of Larry Storch's Phantom of the Opera in surround Storch, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. I guess it might be. I guess this has to do with uh, people's vanity. Like there's some Hollywood stars there that are very vain and like they have to put their name on everything. Yep. So so I think that's maybe where the joke is there. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to get their name on something just for. <laughs> To market themselves, basically. <laughs> so now Kelly, we see Kelly on stage, and she looks phenomenal in that red dress. We haven't mentioned that earlier. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Umbrellas as well. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely should have asked Julia Tab like that question, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, I, 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 I mean, <laughs> well, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> So Kelly utters a line from a very famous film, probably what I think has been voted the, the greatest film of all time, Casablanca. Of all the opera joints in all the world, he had to walk into mine. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. So I think what they did was they took uh, Casablanca and Phantom of the Opera and uh, you know and put it together. And Kelly, of course, uh, messes up all the lines in terms of her malapropisms as she's uh, reciting them. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I will search for the e instead of the. <laughs> uh, Kelly repeats that and says, "I will search for you, you idiot," <laughs> or "I will right. search for thee, you idiot." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it killed me when she said that. Right. And, you know, and I got to give some I give credit to to Christina Applegate for, you know, the delivery of the lines, because, again, you know, it takes a smart person to deliver stupid. Yep. As well as Ed O'Neill, you know, as doing his like bad impersonation of the Phantom. Like, you know, he's he's an accomplished actor. So but he has to make himself look dumb because he's playing a character playing, you know, doing. Yeah. 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 That's got to be tough to be a good actor and be playing the part of a bad actor. I think I'll go get some refreshments. Stay here, and you will like it. Now Larry's about to come on. (laughs) If only I wasn't hideously disfigured. I can't believe Christine could love me. I'll just sit here and play with my organ. This one. Is it me, or has Larry turned into a beaten-down, defeated old man? Now that is the power of a great actor. You can almost smell his plight. <laughs> smells like feet. Larry. Larry, you're supposed to play here. Oh, 
you, are we really supposed to believe that Kelly doesn't recognize her own dad? <laughs> By the way, like, I, like I realize she's pretty dumb, but she doesn't recognize her own dad. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was going to get to that at the end, right? But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Hal says, I can't believe Christine would love me. I'll just sit here and play with my organ. <laughs> now, I thought it was funny how the camera goes to Bud real quick. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about something besides a piano organ. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but and you know, and, and just to your point about Kelly not recognizing, what about Peg? What about Marcy and Jefferson, right? Yeah. You know, they say it's like, is it me or has Larry turned into a beaten down, defeated old man? Yeah. Well they <laughs> smelt his feet. They were able to smell Al's feet. <laughs> yep. That should have been a big hint right there. All right. So, you know, Al gets in front of the piano and he does the uh, <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> That's the only thing he knows how to play. <laughs> right. That's the only thing I know how to play. I might be able to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah. You know, I, my, both of my kids take piano lessons and they've been pretty good. You know, I'd say they have weekly lessons. They can play the Marine Corps hymn. That's cool. On, uh, on the piano. So uh, I think uh, they got one leg up on Al there. <laughs> So now we see the struggle between Al and Kelly because Kelly wants to unmask the Phantom. Right. <laughs> there he is. I shall now unmask him. <laughs> Verily, I would love to show you my face, but I cannot. <laughs> I have a headache. Phantom, I must unmask you. It doth further our love and my career. So ooze lay the asketh me. No can't do with it. Come on, give me the mask. Nay, I say. Oh. Give me the mask. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, as uh, Al's uh, tuxedo costume gets uh, torn apart, we see the wolf costume underneath. <laughs> I can't think of any logic behind Al not taking the wolf costume off, but <laughs> I'll just go with it because it's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, at this point, Peggy figures out that it's Al. Al runs out the emergency exit, and then all of a sudden, the alarm goes off, and everyone needs to leave single file back out the vent. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny how Al turned around and growled at her like a wolf momentarily, and she ran off, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, wolf, like, what is it? You know, wolf, night, moon, <laughs> right? Yeah. Al. Uh, no, Daddy, it was really nice of you to try to help me. I mean, 
It would have been nicer if you had succeeded, but <laughs> at least it shows you care. Well, you're not mad at me because I screwed up? Mm, not really. I mean, Mom and Bud probably are because you wouldn't front them the 35 bucks to spring them from jail. <laughs> and Larry Storch probably is because he got knocked out. And the Darcy's probably are, but then again, oh, they always are. enough so for the pep talk now. <laughs> you know who I really feel bad for, though, is Griff. I'd go down there and help him out, but it's late, and I'm dodging an APB. <laughs> so, you know, what I thought was an interesting turn of events in the last scene in the living room is how, you know, it's uh, Kelly and Al there talking. And, you know, Kelly's like, you know, I was like, it's really nice what you did for me. <laughs> but she says... You know, mom and butter pissed off because you would front them 35 bucks to spring them from jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because usually it would have been Al who ended up in jail. So Al, for some reason, didn't end up in jail this time. He probably growl started growling at the cops. He's dressed as a wolf, though. <laughs> so it looks like the Darcy's might have been as well. Yeah. Uh, based on the dialogue. And then we just know that Al is staying home because he's dodging an APB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> funny so in the final scene we cut back to the shoe store it's like wow like what is that like six seven i guess we got to count how many scene changes there were yep uh and uh, griff is selling uh photos with a passed out larry storch for 20 bucks <laughs> that's right step right up have your picture taken with tv legend larry storch Every day, I watched and hoped he'd get off the island. <laughs> I was a big fan. <clears throat> Who wasn't? All right, everybody smile. <laughs> And that um, that woman, who's played by Lynn Ann Leverage, she's there. And she says, you know, it's like every day I watched and hope he'd get off the island. So I think, you know, I was trying to figure, it's like, is it... At first, when I heard that, I'm like, is she referring to the skipper? Because the skipper would hit Gilligan with the hat. Yeah. But then, like, when I look at Larry Storch, it's like, no, he looks like Bob Denver. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And that's it. End credits. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. Okay, and we're back. So, Chris, how many times do you want to whack Larry Storch over the head for this episode? Well... I really like this episode. It's one I've been looking forward to. It's uh, one of my favorites of season nine. Uh, I feel like it has a lot of um, 
really funny moments that make me laugh out loud. The, the scene of Al and Griff in the shoe store where Al says, you know, Griff, your, your trouble is you're afraid of the boss. That scene cracks me up every time when Gary walks in. The scene, you know, the, the scene, the, the Phantom of the Opera scene at the very end where um, Al, <laughs> Al and Kelly are on stage and, and Al is really trying to, to prove, uh, you know, it's really trying to help Kelly uh, out, make it through this because he knows it's important to her career. And, and I think he, he proves his love for his daughter there. I think that's that's important, you know, as we mentioned. And I feel like the one-liners and the writing is really strong in this episode you know all the shakespeare uh references and such that we get really really strong uh you know one one of the the knocks on the uh, series uh you know at, at this stage of the series is that the writing isn't as strong i felt like the writing was really strong in this one it's one i really look forward to and really enjoyed so i am going to give this four and a half wax with the hat on larry storch out of five so that's my rating. How about you? Okay, so for this episode, Something Larry This Way Comes, I am going to give four whacks over the head with uh, Larry Storch's hat on Larry. <laughs> I know he's 98 and very fragile, but uh, we're going to be very gentle. But uh, four whacks over the head. I thought this was a great episode. It was definitely a lot of dialogue, and I think, as I said, like a lot of scene changes, but they worked. You know, like you would have uh, a couple of lines of dialogue. You sort of needed that for the setup. I think from a production standpoint, that makes it difficult for uh, the production team at Married with Children at the time because it means you have to have a lot of sets. And even the studio audience, I guess the way you'd have to continually move the sets around uh, to, you know, to film each scene properly, right? That'd be something I would like to know if somebody, uh, if any of our fans on the podcast had ever been to a taping, I would love to hear uh, what that experience was like. Uh, one of the other things about this episode, in production code order, this episode was the 16th episode filmed. So this episode should have been, uh, should have aired around the time of The Naked and the Dead, but mostly The Naked, which uh, Chris and I reviewed uh last month mm -hmm. but uh, for some reason or other that uh it got moved until after ship happens so uh something again something interesting about that but uh, from a production standpoint i thought it was funny the setup was good some original jokes i think the uh addition of larry storch uh, made it funny again you know without speaking to uh, Michael Moyer or, or anyone else on the production staff. It's like, I have a feeling that uh, when we reviewed No Pot to Peas It, I felt like it was like a one joke, a throwaway that I think they went back and thought about it. I feel like, you know, putting Larry in and building it up all around this Larry Stewart School of Acting. Either they had planned it ahead of time and it was a preview, or, you know, after they finished writing it, they were like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we had Larry Storch on? And um, then did that. So, uh, and it would have been based on this seven weeks apart in terms of when they uh, filmed uh, the two different episodes from season nine, from episode nine to uh, this 16th production order episode, which actually aired as the 20th. So that's sort of my theory. But I thought it was just funny overall. Uh, Alan Griffin, the shoe store, 
even the theater, the fan of the opera stuff. Uh, if you ever watch Casablanca, it's a great film. So I love the illusions. I love the, I, I love it. I mean, it's not a five episode, but it's uh, definitely uh, entertaining. Yeah, no doubt. So, f- so four, four whacks over the head. Awesome. All right. And that's it for this week's episode of the Married with Children podcast. Tune in next week when Team Australia is joined by our special guest co-host Steve Owen for And Bingo Was Her game Peggy gets invited to the Bingo Invitational Final. To her horror, Alan Jefferson hear that the new spokesmodel for their official No Man Club beer, Girly Girl beer, is Yoko Uno. Therefore, no man must select a new official beer. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, I really enjoy uh, when Team Australia has a Steve Owen on because I think he brings a great perspective. That's a good episode too. I uh, I particularly like the uh, the uh, whenever Peg and Marcy are playing bingo there. The, the whole exchange with the uh, you know the, the grouchy old woman that I think we we discovered that that is. Um, What's his name's mother, right? Um, That's it's Ron Howard's mother. Yeah, Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard's mother. That's so funny. I've always enjoyed her episodes, but I never made that connection before. (laughs) But she's great. She does really, really well in the episodes she's in. Yeah, definitely the mean old woman. Yep. All right. So tune in next week if you want to hear more about that. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.